Amen. Thank you to the praise team. It's great to see Pastor Mike back on the guitar after rotator cuff surgery. Yes, give a round of applause. If you're wondering, uh, if you're new and you're wondering about these uh, structures behind me, we're doing a series on Ephesians called Building a Jesus-Centered Community. And so what we got behind me is our, our attempt to build. And uh, the original idea behind the series was we have all these blocks and after the service, the kids come, knock down whatever's there and build whatever they want behind me. Well, it hasn't really worked out that way. Usually it looks like a pile of rubble, you know, like after a, a demolition or something. And that's about it. This is the first time. Well, this, is, this is done by the kids. So I like this. They did a good job. So you got this. I don't know if this is like a, just a tower. And you got this, you know, abstract art. But you got a little Golgotha here. You see this? A little Calvary picture. The cross in the middle with two smaller crosses. It's bricked around. So they did, a, they did a good job. So at the end, you guys come up, break it all down, and maybe build something else. Let's see what we have next. I am uh, glad to be back in the pulpit. I've been on vacation, uh, a little road trip, and uh, visiting some from friends. Uh, got to see the Phillips, and so hi from the Phillips from everybody too. Dan and Jean Reynolds, hi from them as well. And it was been, it's been a long and, and good trip. Um, I heard that uh, those who filled in the pulpit did an outstanding job. Uh, Paul was the first one. Somebody told me, they said, that was the best sermon I've heard Paul preach here. And uh, so... Paul, thank you for bringing the word. Um, then Dave uh, Herring did a great job, I heard as well. Last week was, was Mitch, and I was here, and uh, Mitch did an outstanding job. Mitch said someone came up to him afterwards and said, I wish you would preach every week. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, it was your mom. So, <laughs> is that true? I don't think that's true. I don't know. I'll talk to my mom afterwards. So. But looking to jump into the, to Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21. We will have it on the screen, but if you'd like to open up your... Bible, we also have it uh, in the bulletin as well. So there's an outline in the bulletin. If you want to know where we're going, feel free to open up. We're going to be talking today about the love of God. I think one of my favorite subjects, if not the absolute favorite subject to preach on, is the love of God. I think this is uh, one of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian life, that we serve and know a God who loves us. And that those who are in Christ, we are strengthened in our faith by comprehending and grasping and realizing and seeing and experiencing the love of God. Kind of like a troubled kid who's never really seen true love, who gets taken into a family, who just loves him and loves him and loves him or her until the kid finally gets won over. (laughs) All right, I believe you, you really do love me. And then begins to respond with love himself or herself. So God pours out his love on us again and again and transforms us, strengthens us by his love. Now there's a danger in talking about the love of God. And we're going to be talking about how amazing and how high and how glorious the love of God is. And I just want to set set this danger out there from the outset. If you're here and you don't know Christ or you know someone and they don't know Christ, there is a false assurance to talk about the love of God. That to think that God loves you can actually lead someone further and deeper into their sin. And I think that's kind of what we've done in twisting the love of God. That we basically assured people, no matter how you live, no matter what you believe, God loves you. And then push people deeper and deeper into their sin. But for those who are truly in Christ, who have Him as Lord and Savior, friends, sky is the limit when we think about the love of God. In fact, the Christian life is, is not so much first and foremost about 
our love for God. That's what we tend to focus on, right? How much I love God. And we talk about, I want to love God more and more and more. That's a footnote. <laughs> That's a footnote to the Christian faith. The Christian faith is primarily about how much God, our Creator, Father, and Redeemer, loves us. And that love begins to transform us. Look with me at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Picking up where Mitch left off. We read this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations Forever and ever. Amen. That sort of ends the first half of the letter to the Ephesians. We're going to look at first uh, 14 to 17a. There's a bit of a typo in the bulletin, I think. Uh, that's my typo. It's not, it's not on Kena. I made the mistake. Pastor Mike caught me up on it. 17a, and then uh, which is the Spirit's presence shows us God's love. Then 17b to 19, seek a greater grasp of the love of God. And then 20 and 21, trust God to love you and abundantly more. And abundantly more. So first, the Spirit's presence shows us God's love. He starts off, Paul prays to this end. He prays that these Ephesian Christians would be strengthened in their faith by knowing God's love. And he says, for this reason I pray. Now what's the reason that he's praying? Well, usually you look at what happened right beforehand. And I think what he's talking about here is all that's happened in this letter. (laughs) All that's happened in chapters 1, 2, and the first part of chapter 3. All all these reasons for the blessings of the gospel that we talked about. That God has redeemed us. That he has loved us. That he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. That he has adopted us as his own. That he has given us an inheritance that lasts forever and ever. Because of those reasons, that's why I'm praying this. But also because of the unity of the church. That God has broken down this wall, this dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. In fact, between any distinctions of race or gender or socioeconomic level, slave and free. God has made us one in Christ for that reason. And then, as we talked about last week, because of the mystery that is now revealed. The mystery was that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. That all the promises of being part of God's people are offered to those Throughout the world, through every tongue and tribe and nation. For all those reasons, he says, that's why I now bow before the Father and make this prayer. That you would know deeper God's love. Understanding, a bowing was not the actual, the typical way to pray. This is very unusual. The typical way to pray in the ancient world was to stand and to lift up your hands, palms forward. That was the way... You got it right there without looking. So that's the, that's the way you typically pray. So we think someone is a little, they're a little on the extreme end if they raise their hands to pray, right? Uh, but actually, that's the typical way to pray in the first century. Paul is doing something a little different. Paul's the author of this letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, he's doing something a little different when he says he bows or he kneels. 
And, and he's, he's really demonstrating a certain servitude, humility before God because of the boldness of this request. Some of the commentators talk about the paradox here of, of coming so humbly and yet having a prayer request that is so incredibly bold. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, you know, sometimes we, we can so divide the physical and the spiritual, we miss the connection. Having a posture of humility affects us spiritually as well and how we think about God and approaching a God who is so great and so powerful. He kneels before the Father. He bows. He dresses God as the Father of every family, literally. The Father of all fatherhood. And I think the point here is he's saying, as he's continuing on what he said in chapters 2 and 3, that God is the God of all the nations and all the peoples and every tribe on earth. Not just one people, but all people. In fact, what's the vision we get in the book of Revelation? Standing before the throne will be some from every tongue and tribe and nation in earth. He's the father of every family. Some from every family will come to worship him forever and ever. He's not exclusive based on race or ethnicity. Now what does he mean in heaven? Father of every family on earth and in heaven. Uh, I think what he's referring to here is not the angels, uh, but to the church triumphant. Uh, so in other words, those who have gone before us, who have died and have gone to be with the Lord. That already in the kingdom, uh, in heaven, are those from all different tongues and tribes and nations. From every family, we see those who are worshiping. Friends, the Bible sometimes talks about the church triumphant. And when it's talked about, it's, it's as if they're in heaven encouraging us, pushing us on. That's what we see in Hebrews as well. Like we're running a race and surrounding us is a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Because they've reached the end. They've finished the race. They know what the glory of heaven is like. And they're saying, keep going, persevere. Don't forget the promise that God has given us in Christ. Well, his prayer is that they be strengthened with power. There is a power that comes with knowing the love of God. We'll talk more about that. And how does that come? How does that strengthening, that power come? He says here, through the Spirit in us, in our inner being, so that Christ dwells in our hearts. He's talking here about our union with God, our union with Christ. That's how we know it. We're strengthened by love. And how do we know this love? We know it by our union with Christ. You know, there's a mystery, friends, when it comes to understanding our union with Christ. That we are, in a sense, spiritually united to God, to Christ, His Son, to His Holy Spirit forever. And, and friend, that's true of every believer. There are some traditions who teach that you can believe in Jesus and have sort of a head knowledge and still be saved and not have the Holy Spirit and not be united. I don't believe that's the case. In fact, Romans 8 seems to lay it out. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't know God. That's pretty clear, I think, right there. All those who know the Lord, all those who are in Christ, have the Spirit's presence with us. And there's a certain mystery to that union. <laughs> that we are united with God forever. He describes it as having the Spirit in our inner being. A place that you can't get to physically. You know, if the surgeon opens up your chest and reaches in, they're not going to find the Holy Spirit. It's an inner being that doesn't exist physically. Or he describes it as Christ in our hearts. And the way that they understood the heart was the, the center of your being. Not so much the physical organ, but uh, the place, the seat of your emotions, your mind, your thoughts, your motives, everything. That's where Christ dwells, friends. 
Now, I don't want to take away from the mystery. There is a mystery here, but certainly at least this union with Christ would mean that He's in our thoughts. That there's some affection, some emotion. It's not just a dry theological framework. That He's the motive for why we do what we do. He's the motive behind our actions. That He's the purpose of our lives. St. Patrick said, Christ be with me and within me. Christ behind me and before me. Christ beneath me and above me. I think that's what he was getting at. Our union with Christ. My whole life is surrounded by Christ. What I do, what I think about. One lady in our church, older lady in our church, not, not too old, but uh, was on Facebook. And, uh, you know, people, everyone's on Facebook. It doesn't matter. People are in their 60s, 70s. They're, everybody's on Facebook. But she wrote this. I won't name, name her, but... Talking about Christ, she said, He is the sole prevailing passion of my life. I think that is what he's getting at, as the inner being. Christ is united to us. Now, in a sense, why pray this? If all those who are Christians are united with God through His Spirit, why pray that they be united? Because, friends, in a sense, yes, we're all united to God, but there is a growth in that. There is an experience of His presence that goes deeper and deeper and begins to change us. There is power, as He says in this. Real power. Power that actually changes our lives, that molds us to the image of Christ. You know, I don't think I noticed if you read in the Scriptures is people go to Jesus for real power. Right? I mean, you got the centurion who's got all the power of Rome. He's in charge of a hundred soldiers and he's got a sick son or a servant who's like a son, right? And what does he do? Does he decide to go to Caesar? <laughs> to go to his higher-ups and try to help his son? No, he's, they can't do anything. He knows that. Maybe he's already tried some of the doctors. They can't do anything either. He knows where there's real power. Yep, this itinerant Jewish rabbi <laughs> who's roaming around the world. He says there's real power there. And he sends his servants there to get his son healed. Same thing with Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler. Uh, which is a pretty high, prominent position in the, the society there. And he wants his daughter, who is sick, eventually dies to be healed. Who does he go to? He goes to Jesus because that's where there's real power. He knows it. Friends, that's where we go to Jesus today too because that's where there's real power. And if you, if you just want sort of the, the, the framework of religion, you know, you go to a, go to a religion. That's where you find. If you, want, if you want real power, however, you go to Jesus. He's the one who actually changes us, molds us through our union with Him. Friends, my, my prayer for First Baptist, my hope for First Baptist is we are strengthened by the love of God, by our union with Christ. How does it happen? Well, one is by prayer. As he says here, I bow my knees before the Father. I pray to Him, friends. We should ask God for this. God... <laughs> I know that I know you. I know that I'm in relationship with you, but I want more of you. I want more of you in my life. I want to be more about you. Help me to grow in this union with you. Pray for it. Ask the Lord for it. I know I'm redundant. I, uh, I'm redundant about certain things. When I, when I preach, anyone that's been here for a while knows that I can be redundant about certain things. Prayer is one of them. <laughs> Gospel of grace, salvation through faith alone, hopefully is another one. and There's a few others, but here's one I don't mind being redundant about. Prayer, friends. We spend far too little time in prayer. It is a blessing that is truly great. And we, make, we don't make 
as much use of it as we should. Ask the Lord. Spend time with Him. Experience this union with God. Friends, we want to be about sound doctrine. It's very important for us as a church. We want to be theological hawks. Uh, You you have two pastors here. we want, both of them are going to have a doctorate <laughs> coming up. Mike is actually heading out after today to go and uh, go to his last residency for his doctor of ministry at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, then he has to do his thesis work after that. Uh, friends, we take very serious a right view of God and a careful understanding of his word and careful view doctrinally. That's very important for us. But it doesn't end there. We want to live it out. Church family, we want to enjoy the presence of God and experience this union that we have with Him. That's how we're strengthened by His love, by actually enjoying the presence of God with us, enjoying this union that we have. How do you convince somebody of your love? Well, one way, at least let's start here, by being with them, by being present. How do you convince that troubled kid who thinks that nobody in the world loves him that he's loved? Well, one is Cut some time out of your schedule and make sure you're with him. <laughs> because until you do that, sorry, friends, you'll never convince him that you love him. It's one of the reasons why I love road trips, by the way. I, uh, my family uh, gets tired of road trips. I love road trips. So I only get to go on one every couple of years. Because they say, that's it, we're flying next time. But we spend so much time in a car. But one of the things I love, we drove, uh, these are the states we covered. Massachusetts, of course. Connecticut, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, and Illinois. Thanks we covered in this road trip. Maybe a little New Jersey in there, but I'll just leave that out, okay? Because that doesn't add to the value of the road trip anyway. Sorry, anyone here from New Jersey? That's good. All right, good. We'll leave you out. So just got to make sure you roll up your windows and, uh, you know, when you go through New Jersey because the smell can be a bit, bit rough there. But anyways, we drove all over the place. And one of the things I love about it is we're trapped <laughs> in this little Toyota matrix, basically like a little Corolla, together. <laughs> And, and talking and spending time and experiencing different things and going to eat at various places and seeing different things. And friends, you can't help but be together on a road trip, not just hopping on a plane, flying and coming back. Be with the Lord. You are united to Him. Enjoy that presence. Enjoy that union that you have with Him. If you want to be strengthened by the love of God, God, enjoy the presence of God with us. He dwells with us in our inner being, in our hearts. And friends, I would just add one more thing, and that is to share it. (laughs) Share this good news. Share this good news. As it says, he's the father of every family. He wants to bring people to himself everywhere. (laughs) All over the world. People, yes, here, right in our own neighborhood in Massachusetts. People out in North Carolina, people in Nepal, people are everywhere. He wants to bring to himself. Tell people this good news. All of our ministries, I love about our church, one of the things I love about our church, all of our ministries are open to everyone. We kind of made a conscientious decision to say, like about our community groups. We don't want closed groups. They're all open. Anyone can come. It doesn't matter you know, if it's, we're halfway through the year, or quarter way through the year. We want to keep an open door to say, look, if somebody is interested in coming and learning, they're welcome to come. I love the, 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 our, uh, our meal that we share, our community meal every Sunday. It's open to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist, doesn't matter if you, you have some weird belief, doesn't matter what your lifestyle is like, as long as you're not obviously hurting someone else, you're welcome to come and get a meal. 
fact, if you, if you never believe in Jesus, you're welcome to come and get a meal for the rest of your life. <laughs> we never turn away anyone. But yes, there is, of course, a motive behind that. I wouldn't say secret motive because we're open about it. And that is we want you to come to know the Savior. That's our greatest joy for you would be that you would come to know Christ. It's not an ultimatum, but it is a motive behind it. I like one of the things that uh, John Piper says is that if we're interested in alleviating suffering in this world, and we should be, then we should also be interested in alleviating eternal suffering. They're not in contradiction to each other. We want to alleviate all suffering, but that includes, of course, offering the gift of eternal life in Jesus. That anyone can be united through faith. Now we get to more of the content of his prayer in 17b through 19. He says here, Paul desires that the Christians would comprehend, that they would grasp, they would understand more fully the love of God. He says that you being, root, you being rooted and grounded in love. Those are two illustrations that basically say the same thing. Rooted, that's the soil which a plant grows or a tree grows in. Or founded, that's the foundation, you know, the, 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 found, the, the uh, basement level of a building. That love is where we begin to grow. That very beginning of our faith is founded in the fact that God first loved us. In fact, as we read it in chapter 1, before creation began, He loved us, chose us, and made us His own, adopted us as His people. That's the foundation. But then we don't stop there. We, we grow deeper and deeper in comprehending and grasping this love. As he says here, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. I love that. All the saints refers to all Christians. We've talked about it a number of different times. It doesn't refer to a spiritual elite group. I think it's one of the greatest twisting of scripture that we've seen is to turn the word saint into this elite group of Christians. It never means that, not even a single time in the whole of the Bible. It always refers to all of God's people in Christ. All those who are made holy by the Lord that would comprehend with all the saints. So this prayer isn't just for these Ephesians, it's for all of us, for us too, for all God's people. And look how he describes it, that we would know the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. (laughs) All the dimensions, how big and enormous is the love of God. I love how he describes it, that you would know that which surpasses knowledge. Again, another paradox, right? How can you know something that surpasses knowledge, knowing something that can't be known. And what he's talking about is you, you begin or you progress on this eternal journey of knowing God's love more and more. You'll never fully know it. In fact, if you're at a place where you say, I, I know God's love, you haven't fully comprehended it. It's bigger than you think it is. And he says here that they might be filled with the fullness of God. What a statement that to know God's love is in a sense to know God. To have the love of God is in a sense to have God with you. Friends, I would hope that we would seek this, that we would seek to grasp the love of God for you and me. John Stott breaks this down a little bit. He says, uh, perhaps the breadth refers to it being spread to the ends of the earth. And the length is that this love lasts forever. It's eternal, has no end. And the height is that it carries us up into heaven. To know God and its depth is that it would save, reach down and save any sinner, no matter how horrifying the sin. 
Similar to that is Brian Chappell who writes, Paul says, God's love for his people is as long as eternity past, so wide as to include all nations, so high as to ring praises from angels in heaven, and so deep as to cancel the claims on hell, of hell on your soul. We begin to grasp how big this really is. I think we may not be, try to be so specific here, except to say that it's, it's bigger, it's wider, it's more large than you could have comprehended. It's bigger than the universe. How big the universe is? Uh, so scientists say that the universe is 27.4 billion light years wide. I don't know how they measured that, but that's what they guessed. It's 24, 27.4 billion light years wide and ever expanding. And you know how big a light year is, right? Light is the fastest thing in this universe. Um, and uh, that we know of, it travels obviously uh, extremely fast. Well, if you let it go for an entire year, that's one light year. That's an enormous amount of space. In fact, the, uh, it's too big, really, to even talk about our own solar system. So in our own solar system, they talk about astronomical units. I don't know if this stuff interests you or not. It interests me. But uh, the distance between the Earth and the Sun is one AU, one astronomical unit. It's 93 million miles. Well, guess how many astronomical units are in one light year? 63,000. <laughs> so now imagine a universe that's 27.4 billion light years wide. It's, it's beyond comprehension. I think that's what he's saying about the love of God. It is beyond what you can grasp. We've tried. I love the hymn, The Love of God, by Frederick Lehman, who sung it probably many times in this church. He tried to grasp, he tried to bring out the incomprehensible nature of the love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. I wonder if he had this verse in mind when he wrote this hymn. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretch from sky to sky. It's, it's beyond us. I remember hearing that we had child evangelism fellowship here, and they taught this little, little song to the kids, and it stuck with me uh, as well. But it goes like this. How wide, how long, how deep, how, no, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. All right, try that with me. It's, it's how wide, how long, how high, how deep, flap, flap, is the love of Christ. You ready? Let's give it a shot. I got it written down, so I get to cheat here, but how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ? I didn't see everybody clapping. I'm looking at Mr. Miller over there. Come on, join with me here. Ready? Let's try one more time. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ? Now, we'll be stick I'll stick with you for the rest of your life right there, friends. To grasp how great is the love of Christ? It is beyond comprehension. God's love is bigger than you think. It surpasses our knowledge. Friends, the Christian life is about coming more and more to terms with God's love. Maybe you struggle with love. You, know, you get a little squeamish. <laughs> Somebody says, I love you, or they start telling you how much... They love you and you get a little uncomfortable. How many people like that? You want to admit that? I'll admit it. I'm a little like that. 
Y'all like the word of love? It makes you, it's just it's hard to, to to kind of be emotional like that. I remember the movie Ghost. I'm not recommending any of the theology of the movie Ghost. But do you remember he didn't like the word I love you, but so he'd respond with ditto, right? Whenever his wife said I love you, he'd say ditto because he didn't like to get into the to the word I love you. A lot of things in this world blur our vision of love. One is our sin. Our sin blurs our understanding of love. We, we don't know what true, pure, perfect love looks like in this world because we're all sinners. In fact, the fact that we live in a fallen world where there's just so much suffering and there's so much pain. Limited human love blurs our vision of love. Well, Here's God's message, I think, from this passage. Get over it. <laughs> God loves you. And he's not going to stop. He died for you. He rose for you. He brings glory to himself by giving you his love. Rest in it. Like that troubled kid. Be transformed and assured of his love for you. You know, one of the blessings of the Christian life is assurance. And I know that all, not all Christians have assurance. I know not all the Christians in this room have assurance. I've had multiple conversations with people about it. But friends, it is one of the gifts of the Christian life that you can be sure of your salvation. It's not a, I hope so, I might be, I think it's going to happen, that when I die I'm going to be with the Lord. You can say, I know with certainty that He loves me and that my eternity is secure in Him. And friends, yes, love motivates us. It motivates us to action. It's what transforms us. You know, the law doesn't actually transform us. The law, you, you hear, do this, don't do this. And you do your best to not do something. And you do your best to try to do something. And then your fallen nature begins to come back. And, but love actually transforms us from within. I love what Brian Chappell writes. He's a seminary president. He writes, some fear, of course, that a preoccupation with the love of Christ will lead to license and the abandonment of God's standards. But this cannot be. When we explain that even God's discipline is evidence of His affection and that His law is an expression of the very character of the one who loves us so much as to give His Son in our behalf, then honoring Him becomes the prevailing passion of our life. We respond to His abundant love for us by loving Him in response. Friends, that's what step one is all about when we gather here on Sundays. That's why we make a big deal about coming together on Sunday mornings. What are we doing together? We're basking in the love of God and His grace in Jesus and allowing that to transform us as we head out into our weeks. Which brings us to 20 and 21. Trust that God loves you and abundantly more. That he loves you and abundantly more. Verses 20 and 21. Paul trusts that God will answer his prayer. He will answer his prayer to strengthen them by his love. He will enable us to grasp his love. He says to him, this is how he describes God, who is able to do abundantly more than all we ask or think. So I say, I'm, I'm doing my best to put in words what my prayer is, but I trust that God is not limited by my speech, by my writing, or by our minds. <laughs> he was going to do even more, even better than I'm asking. According to the power at work in us. The spirit of God dwelling in us. And he says, and ultimately the end of this will be his glory. In two places. In the church and in Christ forever and ever. Friends, this is often how God answers prayer, isn't it? He does 
immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. He, does, he acts differently than we have requested. It happens in prayer all the time. Uh, you ask for one thing from God, you get something else. But oftentimes you look back and you realize that was better. Life is like this. You know, we have our, our own expectations, our own plans, our own ideas about the future. And God changes it up. He gives us something very different. It's kind of like this. This is an illustration. So imagine your dream, your whole life is to live in Hawaii, right? That's what you want. You want to live in those white sandy beaches and that nice warm weather with palm trees. And that was your dream. And sometimes instead God gives you Alaska. <laughs> the exact opposite of what you had dreamed. I got a photo. I'm going to throw that up there. But sometimes, friends, you come to realize that Alaska has its own beauty. Doesn't it? Perhaps immeasurably more than you thought. Happens all the time for me. I remember back in seminary. By the way, I never thought I'd come back, come here to First Baptist. That was never my plan. I grew up in this church, for those who don't know. Never thought I was coming back here. I uh, at one point thought I was going to go into the military and serve as a chaplain. For a little while, I thought I was going to be a missionary. And uh, I think the village will probably still think that's my plan for my life eventually. Uh, I wanted to teach at a seminary. And then for a while, I wanted to plant a church. And God said, no, I got a very different plan than you thought. (laughs) I'm bringing you back to First Baptist. And that's my plan for you. And friends, there's something very beautiful, immeasurably more than I ask or imagine, about being back here. We pray with bold prayers. We recognize that God is God. And his plans are better than ours. And his plans are based on an immeasurable love for us. Notice the importance of the church in God's plan as well. This is the theme of Ephesians. It's about a people, not just individuals, but a people that God brings together. A community, an ecclesia, a gathering of his people. Think of our church. I, I believe God has amazing plans for our church, for FBC Haverhill. Bigger and better than we imagine. Different, most likely, than we're thinking, but bigger and better than we imagine based on His love. Trust Him. Pray. Stay faithful to His word. Keep sharing the good news and see what He brings and unfolds. I'm learning this as a pastor. I'm learning this as a Christian. But I I got my plans, and they're great, but they're not his plans. (laughs) And his plans are a lot better than mine. My plan was 10, 15 years ago, those who were here, for a while was to sell this facility, which was falling apart at the time, and and build somewhere else in the outskirts of the city. A lot of you guys shared my opinion on that. It wasn't God's plan. (laughs) His plan was to stay here in the center of the city, Restore this old facility and try to reach our community from here. My plan, love to see this church grow to 500 people. God's plan, not yet. Keep ministering well to each other in a smaller community for now. God's plan is better, much better, measurably more than I ask or imagine. As we take our plans, We lay them before God and trust Him to do more than we ask. And in His unfolding plan, He reveals His love to us more and more. 
be strengthened by the love of God. Pray for God to show his love to us. Seek a greater grasp, how wide, how high, how deep, how long is the love of Christ. And trust his plan as he unfolds it, motivated by his love for us. We want to be a Jesus-centered community. That's what we're seeking to build here. Well, a Jesus-centered community is strengthened by a greater grasp of the love of God. Do we love God in response? Of course we do. Of course we do. But that's a footnote of his larger plan of showing his love to us. Like a troubled kid, reassured by a loving parent that they are loved. Pray with me. Well, Father, thank you so much for our gathering this morning that we can come together to sing and to fellowship and to pray and to hear from the word and to give and to send folks out. Father, I do pray for all here. I pray that we would each have a greater grasp of the love of God in Christ. Lord, I pray for those here who maybe don't know the Lord Jesus, so thankful that they would come and gather with us and maybe they're trying to work out what they believe and they're open to hearing from your word. I pray, Father, you would speak to them, meet them where they're at. Well, that's a work that you do secretly within our hearts and minds. I pray for those here who do know you, who have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, that we have more to grow. <laughs> we have more to comprehend about your love. Show us yourself more and more. Help us, Lord, to experience this union that we have with you. Father, we trust you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, that you hear our prayers, and Lord, you see our plans, and your ways are not our ways, and your thoughts are not our thoughts, but as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways and your plans and your thoughts higher than ours. Thank you, Father, for your great love. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.